Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Welcome to this thing called life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and I hope you are well. I have a wonderful guest joining me today, and I can't wait for you to hear her testimony. This year is dedicated to diving into the truths about organ, eye, and tissue donation, because there is so much misinformation and falsehoods floating around. So it's my goal, as I've said before, really to dig in, dig in further, into this so that there is better understanding of what donation is and isn't and how it truly impacts others. The reason I'm so passionate about this is because this is the pathway to us all having better understanding and healing. And once we can do that, we can do better and we can heal and we can be a stronger community together. February is Black History Month and American Heart Month. And February 14th is National Donor Day. African-Americans are at a higher risk of heart disease and make up the majority of people on the national waiting list for kidney transplants. Why? Well, research suggests that African-Americans may carry the gene that makes us more salt sensitive, which increases the risk of high blood pressure and heart disease. We also have higher rates of obesity that lead to these other to these health issues. We need to learn the signs of heart disease as well as renal failure and what we can do to be healthy, heart healthy, understand kidney health and prevent the onset of these conditions. I would encourage you to visit heart.org as well as nkf.org to get more information today. I'm really excited to welcome my guest today. She is a transplant survivor. Mrs. Sandra Wright is founder of the Greater Cincinnati African-American Heart Association. Hello, Sandra. I'm so happy to have you on today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrea. It is my pleasure to be here. <laughs> oh, we're, I'm excited. I'm excited that we were able to connect through, through uh, our mutual friend, Renee Mahaffey-Harris, um, and she shared your story, and I was just compelled to learn more, so I'm just I'm really happy to have you on the show. Um, Can you please just kind of share with us, share with us your story? Certainly. Well, as you said, um, I am a heart transplant recipient. And in 2014, I had uh, contracted a virus. We never did settle on a name for it. my husband and I both got this virus in like February of 2014. He got it first, I believe, and then I got it. Um, and so fast forwarding to like mid year 2014, around June-ish or so, we were in uh, Chicago on vacation when everything kind of like just uh, climaxed. But to give you a, a little bit of um, 
story that leads up to that. When I got this virus, it lingered and lingered. And so finally it left and it left me with a side effect, which was shortness of breath. But I didn't really pay attention to it. I came up the steps one time and I was completely exhausted. Mm. So it got my attention. I sat down, got myself together. But what really caused me to go see what this was, was when I came out of my bedroom one time into my family room, which was only about three or four steps. And you would have thought I ran a marathon. I was that much out of breath. Mm -hmm. So needless to say, fast forwarding to uh, being on vacation now, all we were there to go to dinner and we were on this dinner cruise ship when all of this mm-hmm. took place. And I couldn't, I, I felt disoriented. I felt a little strange. I got up to go to the restroom and I was going down the steps and I started to panic because I could hardly breathe. And there was no one around. I was the only person down there. And I broke out in such a sweat. And I said, God, please don't let me die down here. So got through all of that, made it back up the steps, barely got back to my table and still was feeling strange. And I asked the first mate came by and I said, do you have any Motrin? And he was like, no, we don't. He said, are you okay? And I nodded my head that I was, and he, I guess I didn't look right. And he asked me again. And so by now he says, let's go out, let's go out to the deck. So we go out and everything just (laughs) went into warp speed. I could not breathe. I could not get a breath of air. My arms were flailing around. My husband was there doing what he could to help. And so all of this ended up being that they called the ambulance, they came, they got me in the ambulance, they gave me nitroglycerin and they were trying to uh, get me to settle down because you can only imagine how I was acting. I mean, I was just out of control. You can't breathe, so you're fighting for your life. But all of that was adding to the situation And so they told my husband, we have to get her there quickly because she could die. Her her lungs has all but filled with fluid. So I was drowning from the inside out. I get to the hospital and I'm fighting with everybody because I don't understand what's going on. I don't know how serious the situation is. And they're trying to cut off my underwear and I'm screaming and hollering like, no, don't show my booty. <laughs> oh, I don't even laugh, but that is No, that's how crazy it was. <laughs> and so my husband is like, Sandra, stop it. You know, behave. These people are trying to save your life. So he's standing there and he's in extreme concern of what's going on because he knows what I don't know. That I am in a state of arrest and I could die suddenly. And I didn't realize that. So all of that led me to being in the hospital for a few days in uh, Chicago and them really wanting me to stay long-term, they came out to tell me that I had CHF. 
and I knew what CHF meant. Um, and I told him, I said, no, get out of here and go back and look at something else and come back with a different diagnosis because I don't have heart failure and I'm just not accepting that. So that means I went into immediate denial. Mm -hmm. And the danger of that is you will not do what you need to do to take care of yourself properly. So I want to caution people about denial. Mm. You know, don't do that to yourself. Right. And uh, Andrea, I feel if I had to listened uh, more um, seriously, if I had to taken to heart what was being said to me, I might have been able, they may have been able to save my heart. But from that point, I continued on with my fulfilled life, chasing my dreams and doing the things I love and pressing forward, even though my life had become a situation where I could hardly breathe or walk at times. Mm. It got so bad that I had to raise my hands up at times to open up my lung cage so I could breathe. My husband would come behind me and hold me up. It was bad. My only symptoms were the shortness of breath and edema, mm -hmm. which is the fluid that backs up into your body. And so this is a very, uh, it's a long, complicated story that I have, but it's extremely interesting. And I'm putting it in a book mm. um, because it all needs to be told. And it's so much in it that can help others. But I know we're on a time constraint here, so I don't want to, you know, spend a whole lot of time there. Well, I, I, I love that, you know, I love your energy and I love your passion around this. Um, and I, I think putting, putting your story in a book will help so many people, you know, mm -hmm. because you're sharing your personal story, your you know, your battle with denial about something being wrong and you just kind of continuing on along that path. And um, I just, I think that that, like people need to see that, they need to see you, they need to see, you know, learn more about what this is like. Cause as, as shocking and as difficult as it, as it was to hear you just share what happened to you on that, on that boat, that's really not that, that uncommon. I mean, those things happen and we don't talk about it enough. Exactly. You know? So that's why so, I, just, I appreciate doing that. Sure, sure. So when, when they released me from the hospital in uh, Chicago, they told me to follow up here in this city. And so I ended up, um, I, I went to, one doctor initially, which I will not name, but through the process of the journey, I ended up at Christ Hospital. And uh, that's a bittersweet situation there, but I will put that in the book. But what I will say is this, Christ Hospital set me on the path of my life being saved. And when I tell you that <laughs> I have a love for Christ Hospital, <laughs> I really do because they they were the only that was the only place that I went where they actually looked 
at my actual heart. They put a um, apparatus through my neck that went down into my heart, which is a probe and they call it a swan. Mm -hmm. And they could actually see the condition of my heart. And they came to tell me that my heart was in such disrepair that it would no longer serve me. Mm -hmm. And at, you know, prior to getting there, the thing that sent me to Christ at that particular time, I had had um, the shortness of breath was severe. The edema had become so severe that the fluid was now all the way up to my hips. My legs and thighs felt as tight as a drum. Mm. My lips had turned a blue gray, which meant that I wasn't getting enough oxygen. Mm. And so all of that uh, sent me to the hospital, not to mention I was sitting on my sofa and all of a sudden I could see my clothes moving. My heart was beating so hard. Mm-hmm. That was a fibrillate. Uh, I can never get that word A-fib. out. A fib, mm-hmm. which, which could cause a stroke. And so that was the state I was in when I went to Christ hospital the last time. And I had had up until then, I had had a lifestyle of every two months about, yeah, about every two months, I was going to the hospital to uh, get my maintenance care is what I called it. And, you know, they would flush me out and get me back to a healthier weight, which meaning getting rid of the edema, getting it down to a place where it was manageable. And then I'd go on my way. So, yeah, um, all of that mental state of being in denial, not doing, following the care, not taking the medicine the way that I should, not really making any real changes to my lifestyle, just Mm -hmm. continuing and pushing and pushing that heart till it landed me in 2017 of needing to have a heart transplant my heart would no longer serve me. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's scary to be told that. Right. But the blessing for me, I'll say this part and then turn it back to you. The blessing for me, I am a, um, <laughs> I'm a spirit led woman and very much believe in God. And my husband had come home from church one day. I was in the bed. I couldn't go because of the state that I was in. And he said he heard a word from God to give to me. And the word was this, that this was not unto your death. What you're dealing with is not unto your death. You're not going to die. God said it's a test for you, but it's for his glory. And so I'm sitting here now (laughs) and I boldly say that I live for his glory because truly I do. God kept me here for such a time as this and for the purpose of what I am now doing within this organization. Right. I I think that's wonderful. I think that's beautifully, beautifully captured. So, so this, this experience led you to want to begin an organization 
that really focused in specifically on African-Americans and heart health. So tell us, tell us about that. Yes. So as you could imagine, uh, going through a process like that, you know that your brain and your heart is the center of your life. And if either one of those fail on you, that's pretty much the end of life for you, practically. And so going through the navigating through that process, um, it wasn't as scary for me because of the fact that I have the relationship with God. But yet through the experience of all of that, there was something in me that told me to pay close attention to everything that was happening um, because the journey wasn't for me. It was for those coming behind me. And so as I traveled through that and I would look, I, I needed to feel a place that I felt connected. I needed to feel some kind of connectivity. I wanted uh, a community of support around me to answer some questions or just to make me feel like I was going to be okay through all of this. Right. And it felt so lonesome. Yeah. It, it felt lonesome. And, you know, different places that I did tap into, you know, the, the information was good and all of that, but it just did not reach me. It wasn't, it wasn't designed in the way that I'm cultured. Right. And so I didn't really relate. And so through all of that and, and coming out on the other side of that and then founding this organization, I was going to be very intentional in making sure that this would be an organization where African-Americans would come knowing that this is not, they're not an afterthought here. They are the reason why we exist right. to create a community that they feel respected, that they feel connected, that they feel heard, that they feel understood and where information is related to them in a way that is culturally appealing mm -hmm. and relatable. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but with that said, in terms of, diversity and inclusion. I am not a person that would turn away anyone. Right. And nor would this organization. Right. But by the same token, we as the African American community, we are the ones with the highest risk and the greatest fatality. And therefore, I feel it was necessary to have an organization like the Greater Cincinnati African-American Heart Association right. to create that village feeling. So in your, in your, vis in your vision for, the, for your organization, do you see this being a, a place where if someone is trying to navigate this health, this healthcare system, they've, they've received, you know, a, a diagnosis of heart failure or cardiovascular disease, do you see this as a place where they could come and receive support, receive, you know, resources on how to, you know, how to get to where they, you know, need to be in their care? Um, 
just kind of maybe understanding what this looks like down the road. Is that kind of your vision for the organization? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. All of that and some. Okay. Um, we have a couple of um, services within the organization. One is the strength and courage community network support. First of all, our mission is we are creating a health focused environment uh, of community network support of thoughtfulness, understanding and trust for African-Americans with a personal touch because we wanna be here to offer moral and encouragement, moral support and encouragement. along with the awareness and the education. Um, We want to be able to be a bridge for those when they have gotten such news and this kind of news can come to you totally unexpected and everything stops. You know, your life is going to stop right at that point. No matter what you had on your agenda, it's now over. When somebody tell you you have CHF, that's all you're gonna focus on. And it can find you in some very vulnerable places. You know, it can find people in a place where somebody just may have lost their job. You know, somebody else in the family may have passed. It's all kinds of things. This organization is to be here to be that arm around you to help you to get through that process, to be able to be a buffer, you know, Maybe you might need to stay in a a hotel for a weekend or whatever. This organization is the organization where you can come to to get that kind of support. Right, right, which I think is it's so necessary um, and important. You know, one of the one of the things that frustrates me about our healthcare system today is is it's not accessible for all, and if you you know, if you lack the means or, you know, have, you know, less than desirable insurance, I mean, there are just all these barriers um, mm-hmm. that prevent many people and many, and, and honestly, we, it's people of color that are impacted the most. They don't receive basic health care that they need. And let alone if it's something of this magnitude, it just, there's so many obstacles to have to overcome. And so I think having an organization like yours to be able to kind of wrap wrap around people and, and support people and meet people where they are and help them navigate all of this would just, it, it, would, it would benefit so many people who, who absolutely need it. Absolutely. And that was the whole intentional point of having this organization Mm -hmm. Um, because as a black person who have lived the journey, who understand what it feels like of all of the things that we are faced with, with the uh, adversities and, you know, just all of it. I get it. And because of that, I know what to do in this organization. I know how to make it make a difference because we do matter. Right. We do matter. Absolutely. And if, 
if we don't matter to anyone else, we better matter to each other. Yeah. And black people matter to me yeah. because I'm that. And I love this community of people. We are so vibrant and we have so much to offer, but we have always been made to feel less than. Yeah. One of my granddaughters, I was talking with her and I know this is kind of off subject, but I just want you to know where my heart is with this and how much it means to me. We were talking about life and what she was going to do in her life. And she told me she hated being black. And she said it with such disdain and it hurt me to the core. Mm. I had to keep myself together while talking to her, but I could so relate to what she was saying because I too had to fight against that. Yeah. And that is why in this organization, nobody is ever going to be made to feel that way. Mm -hmm. I have set it up in the bylaws to make sure mm -hmm. it will always remain, even when I'm gone. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's, it's interesting that the story you shared about your granddaughter, because I think a lot of a lot of us African Americans can identify with that feeling of not feeling like you belong, not feeling feeling like you're less than, you know, uh -huh. the, you know, I, my hair looks different than everybody else, you know that that was like my big thing growing up, and I remember, you know, the the mean things like kids would say to me, you know, I remember being called buckwheat by my classmates because I I had like you know. And it just like those things, they stick with you and they, they affect your self-esteem. You, you know, we're, we're taught to be yeah. strong and resilient, but, you know, mm -hmm. we would be lying to ourselves if we said that didn't, that didn't stick with us. And so I, it's as painful as that is, I, I understand that pain and I, I understand absolutely where you're coming from with this. I really do. Yep. And, you know, it, the time has now arrived where we can no longer wait for someone else to come to save us. Correct. We must do it ourselves. Right. We must do it ourselves. So let me ask you this. Are you, are you encouraged that do, do you see any type of shift or improvement just you know, for me personally, just with everything that has, has unfolded in our society over the last few years, I feel that um, I feel a different kind of strength with our community, with the Black community. Um, yes. Our voice, I feel like our voice is more present than it has been and it's being heard. And so for me personally, I see that. But I'm just curious from your perspective, what, what do you think? Yes, I do see that. And I'm telling you, I'm so proud of our young people. Yes. I'm so proud of our young professionals. They are doing the dang thing. They are. <laughs> they are. And I'm so very proud of them and I'm championing them on because they are doing what our 
grandmothers and mothers was fighting to see. This was this is what it was all about with civil rights. This is all of what Martin was dreaming about. And we're now seeing it on the cusp. Now, I will tell you, as one who have lived 65 years in this world, Which to I never us, would have guessed that was your age. Thank, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that just blew me away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Coming up June, it'll be 66. Thank God. I hope oh. to see it. And the heart yeah. will be five years in August. Yeah. But for us... You know, some of us, the older generation, we feel like the change is too slow and enough and enough hasn't happened yet. We right. feel like we could be further along. But the good is, as you said, the our voice is being heard and our mindset is changing mm -hmm. and we are beginning to understand the necessity of working together and supporting yes. We're getting that now. And so, yeah, I, I think give it a few more years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I completely oh, okay. agree. Yes. <laughs> and it's exciting. It is exciting. You know, our young people today, they really aren't looking for jobs. They are creating jobs. You know what I'm saying? They're, mm -hmm. They are doing it. I'm just loving it. I'm loving it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know we're, we're going to have to wrap up here. Um, could okay. you, could you give, could you give us your website if people want to get more information about you and about the organization? Yes. So our website is www.gcaa.ca dot o-r-g and that's the call letters for greater cincinnati african-american heart association you can reach me directly by emailing me at s at gmail.com you can also call me at 513-484-4772 wonderful so uh, as we wrap up today with Mrs. Wright, I want to close by just reminding everyone that today, 106,494 people are waiting for life-saving organ transplants, and more than 3,400 need heart transplants. We just had a beautiful conversation with a beautiful person, Sandra Wright, shared her, her testimony and just I appreciate her vulnerability and her openness. But for, to further that, we need to think about your decision to be a donor, taking the step to register your decision to be a donor can mean life for a person who is dying. These are women, men, children, and our neighbors, people who live and work in our communities with us. They are also complete strangers who just need help. I would encourage you to visit lifepassiton.org to get informed, to be empowered, and to learn the truths about donation. I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Sandra Wright again for being here with us today. And I just want to ask you to continue to be kind to yourself and to others. Thank you so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Life Center. 
You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By designating your decision to become a donor, you have the opportunity to change the lives of many and save up to eight lives. Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana say yes to donation by registering to become an organ, eye, or tissue donor today. Go to lifepassiton.org for more information. Thanks to LifeCenter for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.